Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, there's a void in Pittsburgh, under highways, unacknowledged in buildings downtown, covered up on CMU's campus, spaces where queer people gathered in gay bars and made this city their own. We're with poet and archivist Silas Maxwell-Switzer to talk about queer history in Pittsburgh, the AIDS epidemic, and why there's so much empty space. It's Monday, January 23rd. I'm Elizabeth Kama, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So, Silas, you wrote a book of docu-poems called Nine Parts Water, One Part Bleach about the history of the AIDS epidemic in Pittsburgh and its erasure. Can you talk about what inspired you to do this work? My... Fall semester of my freshman year of college, I took a class on documentary poetry. The class was essentially a semester-long project in which, at the end, we were to produce some work of uh, docu-poetry. And I spent about half the semester trying to figure out my topic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I've been pretty heavily involved uh, in the queer community around here since I was, you know, 15 or so. And... Mm -hmm. I came to this like realization that like I knew nothing about queer history in Pittsburgh and you know in trying to figure out why I realized that I am of the generation that like my elders died of the AIDS crisis you know like the people that would have told me the history that I should have known just weren't around to do it and I kind of you know got really invested in if there's not going to be anybody around to tell me I should I at least owe it to them to try and figure it out. And you know for our listeners who might not know what is a docu-poem and what sort of research did you do to sort of find out this history that uh, due to the AIDS crisis wasn't available to you? So documentary poetry is a discipline that is like very loosely defined but in a very basic sense it combines research and poetry in some way you know where poetry is known to be an art of very pure emotion documentary poetry allows space for that emotion to take shape in grounded fact and history and uh like social issues so when you're looking into the research element of, of that work, how did you know where to look? I mean, it's so hard to find records of folks talking about these issues because, you know, it, there's so much danger historically to admitting that you're queer. Yeah. So I uh, very luckily stumbled upon the University of Pittsburgh Library has a single copy of the original handbook that the Pittsburgh AIDS Task Force 
distributed to the community mm-hmm. during the AIDS crisis. This made up the bulk of my very early work was just reading through this book and creating blackout poetry for the most part. But, you know, this dealt with things like how to, you know, appropriately clean your home, how to make funeral arrangements. Like it, it dealt with it dealt with everything. Um, and it was all very Pittsburgh specific. Past that, my family is a Pittsburgh family. Uh, mm-hmm. We've lived here several generations now. Uh, so I was lucky enough to, you know, have my mom happen to know a friend who was able to point me towards one of the old, like, gay bars that I could go visit. And I happened to, like, you know, be able to get in touch via email with a couple of, like, people who were fairly prominent in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just like, honestly, honestly to me, and I don't know whether I'm not giving myself enough credit here, but it, it feels like a lot of strokes of luck. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, luck and serendipity, uh, what else is there? Um, can, do you have any examples of some of the Pittsburgh-specific things that the Pittsburgh AIDS Task Force gave? I mean, I know there's so much fear and misinformation around HIV-AIDS. So were there like specific funeral homes or hospitals people had to go to? What were some of the things that they recommended? One of the biggest things uh, that I like that, that struck me um, mm-hmm. in that way was there was a list for every uh, like faith of places uh, where people could go to get, you know, whatever form of last rites they wanted to have done, done, you know, places that were still willing to do that for somebody who was dying of AIDS. And so those lists existed and then included within those lists were notes about Pennsylvania Act 148, Mm -hmm. which is an old act that allows for a lot of room for people to share your medical information without your consent when it comes to HIV. It provides ways for doctors and funeral operators and like a bunch of other uh, officials to share and make decisions based upon that information, even though legally they should not be able to. And so uh, I think that was that was the most like striking Pittsburgh centric thing that struck me. Yeah, I know that that in the process of your research, you went to some sites where old gay bars had had been closed. Could you tell me a little bit about the places you found and and what led to their closure? I also know that you have like a recording from one of those places. Um. So uh, there's the Pittsburgh Eagle, mm-hmm. which is out on Eckert Street in like the Brighton Heights area. It's quite literally under a highway. This is the first one I went to, uh, and it was on the recommendation of one of my mother's friends. You know, he was telling me about how people would park several blocks away just to not be associated with going into the bar. And again, literally under a highway. But the Eagle was four stories tall, I think, and was open until the early 2000s. Most of these places closed in the early 2000s. I actually talked to one of the owners of several of the gay bars in Pittsburgh uh, Mm -hmm. in the process of all this. And as I'm told, a lot of the problems were that like, with the very specific way that, you know, gay acceptance was being encouraged in the early 2000s, it started to really seem like there wasn't a need for gay bars, you know? business business declined quite a bit and 
largely that seems to be a reason for sale is that it, it was no longer justifiable to have these spaces. And so, you know, the Eagle was sold for that reason, as was the Pegasus, uh, which is now the uh, Pittsburgh Cultural Trust downtown. Uh, the Holiday is the other really big one, which is now just CMU campus. It's not even a building anymore. It is just like there is a new building there on the place where it was on CMU campus. And online you can find um, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Queer History Project which is where I got a lot of information from. But they have all of these old little uh, like cards from the Holiday Bar from when it was closing. And it was, you know, for people to write their like best memories or their like, you know, their thanks or their whatever. And so they, they have all of these cards digitized. I incorporated several of them into my work, both in like a passive research-based way and in a very literal quotations-based way. And like my mother, who was never involved really in the queer community until the, I was, you know, remembers the holiday. You know, it, it, was, it was a big thing around here. It was an institution. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's gonna be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm, because this is a theme party. You wanna come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend, and rest assured, every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. Was there a moment in your research that really stuck with you where you're like, where it kind of hit you the full impact and like the full weight of uh, what happened during the HIV AIDS crisis in, in Pittsburgh? I don't know that there was a single moment. There was definitely a time period. There was like a kind of processing time, I suppose. Because I, I, I went into the project initially with a lot of just extant enthusiasm. I was ready to go. I was I was very very excited about uh you know finding this information and the amount of empty space that i encountered you know even digitally you know like dead links places where things should be that they weren't something about that is what drove it home for me i was i was searching for this thing because i was missing information and realizing that it wasn't quite that I was missing information, but more that the information was missing, which is a slight distinction, but like it definitely was really rough 
uh, for a little bit um, in there to come to terms with that. Yeah. I mean, why do you think so much of HIV AIDS history is lost to us? I mean, I think in part it's uh, simply due to the fact that, you know, it's your basic homophobia. I mean, people still don't know about like the mass AIDS protests that went on where like ashes were thrown on the president's lawn, you know, like, and this, these are, we are talking national, national news type things and people still don't remember. So when it comes to local history between people not wanting to talk about it between a lot of the spaces being gone, um, especially in Pittsburgh, we have lost most of our uh, old uh, gay bars at this point. And just the fact that nobody wanted to talk about it to begin with, you know, resulted in this already small pool of resources over time boiling down into almost nothing. What did it mean for you as a as a queer person to now have this sort of connection to that history of Pittsburgh, this place where your family's from? And um, yeah, you grew up. In a lot of ways, it was and is still really upsetting, right? Like, in a lot of ways, it's it's very angering to know that I missed this. You know, I'm 20, so I'm not even at a point where I can necessarily talk about going to gay bars yet. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, to even be aware of their existence growing up, I think, would have done me a world of good. I spent I spent a couple years uh, very early on in coming out, like, in the various ways that I did, feeling like there was no community in Pittsburgh, especially not one that was older than me, but not one that could give me any direction or anything uh, to that effect. But in another way, it's it's very comforting to have the knowledge. It's very comforting to know that it was here. It's not it's not that nobody was ever here and you know I was and am actually alone in this situation, right? Yeah. There's a there's a sorrow in the isolation element of it, I'm sure, but uh it's it's beautiful now that yeah, that you have a connection to this history. How has that changed your relationship to the city? I don't think it has hugely changed my relationship uh with much of the city, except for my uh, you know, normal rebellious teenager phase. I I have always loved living here. It just it just gave me a closer emotional connection for the most part. It just was an even nicer way to kind of ground myself in a city that I've always been comfortable in. Yeah. Would you be willing to read a poem from your book? So this poem is called Beautiful Thing, based off of, I mentioned those uh, cards from the holiday bar. That was the title of one of their cards. This poem is entirely my own writing, except for a couple interspliced phrases here and there. I think it's my favorite in part because of that, you know, it, it felt like the most connective thing that I did to know. My love, the way your lips move, my inability to watch you falter is my own. Steady my shaking hands. Beg you to sit on the green velvet couch, fall to your knees beneath the window as the sun rises. Our living room becomes a makeshift chapel, and I vowed to never leave, but 
oh, darling, to know the inevitability that you will forget me someday, soon. Steady my shaking hands. Beg you to stay just a few more moments. Lay your head on my chest. Watch the sun set. Silas Maxwell Switzer is an archivist and poet in Pittsburgh. Silas, thank you for joining us. Thanks. You can pre-order Nine Parts Water, One Part Bleach from the Main Street Rag online bookstore. We'll drop a link in our show notes. A little more news before you go. After months of debate, City Council is moving forward with a plan to find city properties that could be repurposed into emergency shelters and transitional housing for people experiencing homelessness. This measure, which was first introduced in August, was in limbo while the council made a committee to study homelessness. Now that council has preliminarily approved the bill, they could pass the measure as soon as this week. And student enrollment in Pittsburgh public schools is dropping. The State Department of Education predicts that the district could lose nearly 6,000 students by 2031. Right now, less than 19,000 students are enrolled. A district official told Public Source the main reason for shrinking enrollment is a shrinking regional population. And if the district keeps losing students, it'll be hard to maintain buildings. They might have to close schools. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends, rate the show, leave us a nice review, and subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So I'll see you soon. I think I'm literate, and then moments like this happen, and I'm like, I can't read.